What's gotten into you, boy? I just listened to the best podcast. Ah, you and your podcast. Why, I know you want to be a podcaster. I do. I'm going to leave this two-bit podunk, one-horse, nowhere, BF Egypt town and make it big. You need to get your head out of the clouds. Podcasting ain't any sort of life. You should be trying to find yourself a woman instead of dreaming about being a podcast celebrity. Oh, what do you know? You've never done anything. Well, not me. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to go out there with no training or talent. I'll meet an alcoholic podcaster whose career is in decline, and they'll give me opportunities I didn't work for. You'll see. Through blind luck, I will become the most famous podcaster that has ever lived. I have many illusions, you know. I'm perfectly willing to begin with a little bit of a cost, or even as an extra. Six dollars, please. In advance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether or not that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, I guess. Yeah. Right, Steve? Good enough that they kept making it. They keep, you know, they keep why <laughs> they do they keep, keep making, making it? Making it over and over again. Yeah. What movie have they remade now three times? <sighs> Well, it is the classic, I guess, 1937 film, the original, A Star is Born. That's right, A Star is Born! Not the one with Barbara Streisand. No. And not the one with, with Judy Tenuta. Judy, <laughs> Judy Tenuta? I would love to see the Judy Tenuta version! And not the one... And not the one with Lady Gaga. No, different. First one. The original one with Janet Gaynor. Yeah. And it's all about Hollywood, not about singing, because all the other ones are about singing. Yawn. And in fact, the the Judy Garland one is a musical. I mean, who cares about the music industry? Hollywood, baby. That's where it's at. That's where everything's important, right? Yeah, according to this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Okay, so Star is Born. Steve, do you have any uh, trivia for it? No, great. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) I spent seconds looking up this trivia. Okay, go for it. And you're going to listen to it. Um, All right. Okay, so this uh, released in 1937. It was the first all-color film nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. And it was also Frederick March's first Technicolor film. Hooray! Hooray! Technicolor. For those people who think that The Wizard of Oz is the first Technicolor movie, stop it. You're wrong. Stop saying it in your YouTube videos. Stop writing it in your bloggy blogs. It's not... I don't know what the first Technicolor film is, actually. Uh, I don't either, but yeah, it it's, had... Well, I mean, it, people don't realize, like, there had been... There had there were color films, not necessarily with the Technicolor process, because that's a specific no. type of color, but... That, that's right. Going back into the 1910s, I mean, there were silent films that were shot, not usually totally in color, but at least with color sequences. Right. So, so more than yeah. like the, the first Technicolor movie is some short by some popular comedy guy, like Slappy Whitkins and the Pie Caper or something yeah, like that. Prob- and it's probably lost. Yeah, it's probably lost. <laughs> like, <sometimes. laughs> because as much because as far as Hollywood got up its own ass almost immediately, for some reason, they didn't think to start preserving their films until about nope. 50 years in. <laughs> because they treated it like product. And when yeah. the product doesn't want to make any more money for them, into the garbage yeah. bin you exactly. go. Nobody's ever going to want to watch this again. Guys, if they could re-record over film stock, they'd have done it. Oh, for they sure. They would have done it. They're like, hey, what are we going to do with all of these reels of Casablanca? 
Ah, you know, let's let's record over it. The Three Stooges, <laughs> if we can get five Three Stooges shorts off of that. Okay. <laughs> so at least they would put it to a good use. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to know who made it and who's in it and all that other... Yeah, I, w- I would love to know who made it and who's in it. All right. It was directed by William A. Wellman. Now, once again, guys, this is an older movie. This is when um, everybody worked and everyone worked a lot. So yeah. I can't go over everything they did. So I'm going to try to do highlights where applicable and say the laziest thing I ever say, which is they did a lot. Because <laughs> that it happens with a lot it is, of It movies. is technically true. Mm-hmm. Directed by William A. Wellman, who also directed Wings, right? Yes. Yeah, Wings. Yeah, the first Best Picture winner. The first Best Picture winner. Yeah. That classic. Yeah. Produced by <laughs> David O. Selznick, who you will remember from Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's 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 a famous producer, and boy, he loves himself a lot, doesn't he? he because he gives himself final credit. He gives himself final credit. He gives himself first credit. Yeah. What are you talking about? Well, and he's also <laughs> I, like modern day film viewers will will probably find it unusual that usually the final credit given in the opening credits of a movie is the directed by credit, but in this movie, the final credit. After Right after the directed by credit is the produced by mm-hmm. David O. Selznick credit. So he was and a it's big also shot. The first name we see, yeah, on a on a big sign. So yeah, I wonder who made this movie. And then he shows us the studio, <laughs> as if to prove, yeah, see, I got a studio and stuff. It's I Graham. as if the movie itself isn't proof enough that he's a movie <laughs> producer. Written by William A. Wellman, Robert Carson, Alan Campbell, um, who also helped co-write the 54 remake with mm. Judy Garland, and Dorothy Parker. And if you guys don't know who Dorothy Parker is, she's a sad, drunk woman who uh, wrote on the Algonquin Roundtable. And if you guys yeah. don't know what that is, I guess I could go into that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, the if you don't know it already, the usual reaction would be, oh, that Dorothy Parker? Yes, yeah. that Dorothy yeah. Parker. And she had uh, tried her hand at doing some stuff in Hollywood too. You can kind of catch some of the lines that you, she definitely wrote for this for this movie. Um, yeah, look her up if you're interested. She really regretted the Algonquin Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> she eventually called them a bunch of sad people waiting around to tell jokes. And boy, that's bitter. Boy, oh boy, I can't wait to get that bitter. <laughs> if I'm not already, <laughs> I was going to say we're we're getting there. <laughs> Starring Janet Gaynor as Esther Blodgett and Vicky Lester. What else has Janet Gaynor been in, Dave? Oh, well, uh, she was actually the very first actress to win the Best Actress Oscar. And she won it for three films because the uh, the rules were a little different back then. Um, uh-huh. And w- one of which was one of the greatest films ever made, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. I'm sorry, what was the name of the movie? Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans by F.W. Murnau. One of the greatest movies ever made? I think so. Okay, there we go. I think so. That's what I was <laughs> A lot of people think so. It's a it's a it's a, a greatly celebrated film, and Janet Gaynor know, was we, the lead in it. We watch it every Arbor Day in my house. How dare um, you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> there is a line that you do not cross, and that line is belittling "Sunrise: The Song of Two Humans." How dare you, sir? <laughs> Also starring one of my favorite actors, Frederick March, oh, yeah. as Norman Maine. And uh, he is also famous for being the first Dr. Jekyll in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he's the best thing in this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> Adolf Manjou as Oliver Niles, and you will recognize him from Paths of Glory. And uh, he was also in the original The Sheik mm-hmm. with uh, Rudy Valentino. Was that Valentino? Yeah. 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 Okay, May Robinson as 
his grandmother as Grandmother Letty. Now, you may not know it, but she's Australian. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and she was also way into, she was way, she's super old. She could have dated Lincoln or something. <laughs> I mean, she's 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 old. Which, <laughs> Maybe she did. And she'd been in a lot of movies. Andy Devine as Daniel Danny McGuire. And you'll know him from Stagecoach and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and How the West Was Won. Oh, yeah. And... You know him. He's got that high voice. Exactly. He was in. He was in the Twilight Zone too. He was in uh, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. That's right. Yeah. He was Lionel Standler as Matt Libby, and you'll know him from Mister Meet Mister Deeds Goes Washington. But you'll probably know him better as Max, the limousine driver butler from the Heart to Heart TV show in yeah. the nineteen eighties. Now, why would you know him like that? Because he got blacklisted, and he got blacklisted for a really long time because people said he was a commie, and he probably was a commie. I don't know. I don't know. He just he got blacklisted. I like him. Yeah. I even like him in this, even though he's a jerk. He's good. Well, he's good at being a jerk. Yeah, he is. He's a good jerk. <laughs> Owen Moore as Casey Burke. This is his final film. Sorry. Sorry, Owen. Peggy Wood as Miss Phillips. And you'll know her as Mother Abbess from The Sound of Music. Ah. Uh... Elizabeth Jens as Anita Regis, and she was in Duck Soup. Edgar Kennedy as Pop Randall, tons of stuff. J.C. Nugent as Mr. Blodgett. Um, yeah, again, tons of stuff. Um, what's this guy's... I, why, oh, Gwyn Big Boy Williams as the Posture Coach. Tons of stuff. <laughs> why does he get to be Big Boy? I don't know. Clara Blandick as Aunt Maddie, and you'll remember her from Auntie M. Oh, by the way, we're in the uncredited section. You know, people who have lines, but they don't care enough to put them in the credits. <laughs> no union, no credit. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Hale is the night court judge. Uh, Lillian Harmer as wardrobe woman. Carol Landis as a, as girl in beret at Santa Anita Bar. Who, Boy, that's who could cool. forget her and that timeless role. <laughs> and George Schendler as delivery man, a very important delivery man. Yes, yes, he emasculates our main character right in front of him. Yeah, yeah right there. Yeah, that's right. Super important. Music by Max Steiner. Now we remember Max from doing King Kong, mm-hmm. but he's also done Casablanca. Uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and Gone with the Wind. He's one of the more influential composers because he was making movies for what was happening on the screen, everybody. And lots of people stole from him. Yep. Cinematography by W. Howard Green, lots of stuff. Edited <laughs> by James E. Newcomb, who did Gone with the Wind and uh, Tora Tora Tora. Also edited by Anson Stevenson. Production company, S- uh, Selznick International Pictures. Distributed by United Artists. Release date, April 20th, 1937. Running time, 111 minutes. Budget, $1.2 million or $21 million adjusted for inflation. $21 million, Steve. Yes, that's a lot. How? How for this movie? What was in this movie that cost $21 million? I I don't know. Did they just build a replica Hollywood (laughs) to full scale? Box office, a little over $2 million, or, adjusted for inflation, $35 million. So it made its budget back, more or less. Yeah. This became a little darling of the critics and the audiences, but and it got nominated for some Academy Awards, right? Oh, yes. Yes, it did. And it's, yeah, and it's been, and then someone said, hey, let's remake it. It was so great. We'll remake it. And then someone later on said, let's remake it. Let's just yeah. keep remaking it every 20 years. Can we keep remaking it? Every 20 years, Steve, they, please? For some reason, they said, let's make this the movie that every generation makes its version of. 
I don't know why, but let's just do that. Yeah. So in the 1950s, it became Judy Garland, and she wanted to become a pop. So the first movie is about becoming a star. The sec- the first remake with Judy Garland is about her becoming a singer. Yeah. The third, the second remake in with Barbara Streisand is about her becoming a rock star. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then this latest Gaga one, she becomes a pop star, right? Yeah. So in 20 so years, you- the next one will be about someone becoming a hip-hop star. <laughs> I might actually watch that, that one. That might actually be interesting, yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get on our suits. Everyone wears a suit back then. <laughs> let's get our suits on. Let's let's get our hopes up high that we're going to make it big in Hollywood. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We have never taken an acting class in our life, but we're going to become the next big star. That's right. We just have that much raw talent. Yeah, that much raw talent. It cannot be denied. That's right. Let's push people who've trained their whole lives to be actors out of their way so that we can become superstars <laughs> and run into the world of A Star is Born, 1937. <laughs> Steve? Yeah. Take it away. Well, as you already mentioned, we open with a shot of the David Oselznik studio. We get the, yep. we get the sign and then pan up to the building and... And then we, we dissolve to what has to be the least cinematic shot you can ever have in any movie, which is yes. a shot of the shooting script of the movie you are watching. As they're stamping it as <laughs> final shooting script. So it's like, so we're just, we're really up against the schedule for this. So much for verisimilitude. It's like- <laughs> What you're watching is fake. These people Here's don't the exist. Real. Here's the actual fucking script. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is it's a clever device, but it's like it's 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 literally the least cinematic thing you can ever do. And they're like It's the dumbest fucking thing. They have number 1. They remind us that this isn't based on anybody. So don't you go speculating, right? Right. Oh yeah, right. D- don't go speculating. This isn't a real thing. These aren't real people. This didn't really happen. <laughs> but it'd be kind of fun if you thought it did. But no, no, no. But we're saying it didn't. <laughs> so, so then, just to make sure that we're, we understand that this is a, a fake movie with fake people in it, because we're dumb rubes, they actually physically show us the script. Yeah. And then the first page of the script. Yeah. Including, the- including, I believe, a description of a shot we don't actually see, right? Because nope. <laughs> it dissolves to the next shot. Like the the it describes like a shot of what is it? It's like a it's like the moon and you hear a wolf howling or something. Yeah, yeah. And then at the bottom of the page it says dissolve to, and then that's the shot that we actually dissolve to, which again is clever. No, we don't. We see the cabin. We do. Oh yeah, that's right. I guess yeah, we do. Yeah. There's a little there's a little fake little model, <laughs> and there's a bunch of dogs barking, which I guess are wolves. Yeah, that's uh, that was my reaction to it. Like, so there's a dog. Where's the wolf? <laughs> I guess the dog must have killed the wolf right before we dissolved in. Uh-huh. But someone's coming home. Who's coming home, Steve? Our our hero, or what, I guess the person who will be our hero for a certain portion of the film. <laughs> uh, and this is this is young Esther Blodgett, and she's just back from a, a night at the movies. Oh, no, not them evil picture shows. Yeah, that's well, that, that would be her aunt, Maddie, uh-huh. who hates the and- movies and doesn't think girls like her should even be allowed to go see them. No, but she's just going on and on. She likes the movies, doesn't she, Steve? She loves the movies. She loves the guy who was the star of the movie she just saw, which is a fellow named Norman Maine. Oh, well, I'm sure that's just a throwaway. Yeah, probably won't come up again. I mean, even her little brother says, all he does is kiss on girls. Gross. Yeah. Nobody hardly ever got killed or nothing. Yeah, yeah. So Her father never gets out of the chair in this scene. Right, exactly. (laughs) 
He's just like, you need to worry about getting ma- I don't understand. What, why am uh, Where am No. Yeah. And then Aunt, Grammy comes in. Yeah, well, Aunt Maddie has been going off about, I, you know, if you ask me, they shouldn't be allowed to see those movies. And then Granny comes in and she's like, well, I don't remember anyone asking you shit. Well, why don't you shut the fuck up and go and die someplace, <laughs> you dumb old hag? Close Who asked you? <laughs> you can just fuck off in any direction you want. Just go ahead. What I opinion is, what Esther needs is a dick inside of her with a ring on it. <laughs> Instead of thinking about becoming an actor person. So Granny is supportive. Yeah. yeah. But Esther's like, you'll see, I'm going to make it big, because they find out that she's planning on running away to Hollywood to become an actress. Right. Right? And she's like, I'm going to make it big, and now I'm going to go cry in my room. And she runs away, and she goes and cries in her room. And Grammy comes in, and Grammy gives her a pep talk about good old American individualism. Right. And then she gives her some money. Yeah, her life savings, which she apparently keeps on her at all times. Yeah. And which she apparently has more of, as we'll find out That's later. That's true. Not all of it. Like, Take all of my money, go live the life that when you're, then she goes on, when your grandfather and I came across covered wagons, people said we were idiots for doing it. But look at us now, all of us, all six of us living in this tiny cabin <laughs> in, in North Dakota. Oh, shit, lady. Oh, I gotta lay down for a second. If only we'd wiped out those engines sooner than we did. <laughs> like, I'm giving you this money because I'm not going anywhere and I'm gonna die soon, and I don't want that bitch Maddie getting it. <laughs> she basically says, you go out and become a famous actress, or else I'm just gonna fucking lay down and die. Yeah, that's basically it. And and yeah. so, so Esther's like, okay, thanks, Granny. So- Granny takes her to the train station and says bye bye, and then she goes to Hollywood, Yay. swimming pools, mass transit, <laughs> the Ch- Grauman's Chinese Theater. Oh yes, the dream, the dream factory. Yes. yes, and she sees all of the people whose hands are in footprints in front of the Grauman's. Yes, and if there's anything that kind of <laughs> number one, this movie is dated. There's no way to get around yeah. it. <laughs> But, I mean, all of the stars that she sees, some of them, I didn't know who the hell they were. Others, I knew exactly yeah. who they were, especially Shirley Temple, that demon beast child. <laughs> she sees the footprints in the muck, in, the, in cement. the cement. yeah. And then she sees one by a guy named Norman Maine. Mm, him again. And I'm like... I'm like, who's Norman Maine? I don't know any actor by that name. They've shown all these fame. And she steps into his footprints and she thinks it's like yay. And but now she's gotta get to get to get she needs a place to live. So she sees an advertisement in a newspaper and it says six dollar rooms, no cowboys. <laughs> Very important. And no gold prospectors. by cowboys? I kept expecting whenever they open the apartment door, they have to shoo the cowboys away. (laughs) Shoo, cowboys, Uh, get away. Ever since they started making movies, just nothing but cowboys. (laughs) Told you to put those spike strips down so the cowboys won't roost here. (laughs) Better go out and buy some more cowboy traps. It's that time of year. (laughs) Those are just human-sized glue traps. Hate to see them suffer, but it's the only way to get rid of them. Uh, You know, I put up this scarecrow dressed like a Native American that keeps the cowboys away. Scares them. Cigar store Indians keep they keep their distance. Uh-huh. So she goes in there, she gets a room. Yeah. Then she goes to Central Casting. Yes. And she meets a receptionist there who is brutally honest with yes, her. Yes, who who tries and fails to talk some sense into her. Yeah. She's like, Look, hundreds of thousands of people come here and it doesn't I'm giving you the cleanest version of this where you just never get work. But there's this little industry called stag films <laughs> that you could wind up doing. You'll make money. 
but you won't be happy with yourself. And you'll probably never be able to make any other kind of movie. Nope. <laughs> so there's that, too. There's always the burlesque magazines. You could do that, but look, just go home. Go home. But she says, she says what? She says something like, "Well, yeah." The 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 secretary says, "Look, it's you have your chance of making it is one in a hundred thousand." And right. then Esther says, "Well, maybe I'll be that one." <laughs> Which no. I mean, we know it makes sense for her because the movie's about her. So of course she's. <laughs> so of course, yeah, okay, she's going to be that one. But in reality, she makes an incredibly foolish decision. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't this be a great movie if she never makes it? Yeah, a, she does. She, a star is she just not born. Does, she just does waitressing jobs, and she gets the occasional, you know, extra every once in a while. Yeah. And we cut to her in in 1977, and she's living in a studio apartment with three blind cats. <laughs> And she's looking at pictures, all of these headshots that she's gotten every stage of her career. And then she just dies on a toilet. <laughs> a semi-professional actor is born. <laughs> no, I guess that would be a bummer, yeah, huh, Steve? Yeah. You can look forward to, at best, decades of occasional employment interrupted yeah. by long stretches of inactivity. Mm-hmm. She goes back to her boarding house, boarding place. Yeah. And she meets Danny McGuire. Right, who is an assistant director. Who's also not working. Yeah. And they become fast friends, and they run out. She has money, and so they're going to go out, and they're going to get drunk. And what do they drink, Steve? They drink uh, rum and milk. Why? I don't, because they hate themselves. (laughs) They said, make me the grossest drink you can make. (laughs) Drink ever. Just pour some rum into a full glass of milk. (laughs) Yeah. That would be great. Oh, Thanks. Great. <sighs> no tonic, no soda, just milk. Our grandparents were idiots. <laughs> Why? Why would anyone? This is a drink you give to prisoners of war to induce them to talk. <laughs> or vomit. I don't know which <laughs> is which. I, I'm pretty sure the Geneva Convention says you can't forcibly make someone drink that drink. <laughs> it's 1930s unrefrigerated lukewarm milk with yeah. rum in it. <laughs> It's like, aren't you, I mean, Prohibition, like, just got over, right? Like, aren't you, you should be drinking way better shit than this. Anyway, we cut back to the manager, and the manager is writing to her to let her know that she's laid on her rent, and he puts a note in her thing, and but then he takes it out and he rips it up because the manager's got a heart of gold. Yep. So score one point for the lucky part, yeah, where oh. she's lucky that she manages to find the one <laughs> hotel manager that's allowing her to live, yeah, like that. You know that you bitch, the, and the like, one landlord in the world uh-huh. who would be that, yeah. And then it turns out Danny, he, he got a job. And so they go to the symphony at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Right? And that's where we see Norman Maine. Yep. And he's drunk. He's Yeah, he's making a little bit of a scene. And his girlfriend's like, stop it. What the hell? <laughs> stop it. You fucking drunk. <laughs> and she sees him and he tells her to shush yeah. or something. Yeah, they have like a little remember. eye contact moment there. Yeah. So we know he's a drunk. And then we see in a note that Granny keeps sending her her life savings, which is odd because I thought she gave her all the her life savings. And Granny's like, "Here's more money." She's like, "Thank you, Grandma, for all the more money." And I'm like, "Is, is Grandma hooking it? Yeah, now? what is Grandma where, doing? Where's Granny getting this money from?" I'm making pies for all the lonely men's out in the South Dakota fields. <laughs> I'm stealing it from your aunt. <laughs> she don't need it. I, we murdered her and got the her life insurance. <laughs> we, so. we cashed in a policy we had on her. <laughs> we got more money than we know what to do with. 
Oh, also, by the way, when we're back at her home, she's what? How old is she supposed? How old is Esther supposed to be? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> she's supposed to, I think she's supposed to be in her early like 20s. Like early 20s, she like, yeah. She looks like she's hitting her 30s, and she has a 12-year-old brother? Yeah, yeah. And I guess mom g- died giving birth to him or something. Apparently. Because her father looks like her great-grandfather. Yeah, it's, yeah, the ages are very, I have no idea. I, yeah, I think you're right. She's supposed to be, well, she's supposed to be like the young, wide-eyed Anja. So I would guess she's supposed to be in her early 20s. Whatever. Anyway, Danny comes in and tells her that he got her a job, but it's not an acting job. It's a waitressing job for a big-time director, huh, Steve? Yeah, which is still better than 99% of the waitressing jobs everybody else gets. That's true. Most people have to go work at restaurants. So Esther takes the job and proceeds to make an idiot of herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By what's going out? What she do, Steve? What she do? She goes out of her way to to be a pest to all the famous people at the party by offering them hors d'oeuvres in by while doing various funny voices and impressions of famous stars Her impersonations. Yeah. yeah, and they just think she's weird. Yeah, and I. You feel this is cringe comedy right here, right now. <laughs> well, I don't know what her deal is, but I'm definitely not casting her in a damn thing. Her impressions aren't bad. No, they're actually pretty good. Well, then we cut to who, Steve? At the party. Oh, well, I, we cut to, uh, oh, what's his name? Oliver, right? Uh, Oliver Nile? Yeah. Yeah, the Adolf Manjou guy. Yeah, yeah. he's the, the lead producer. producer at some studio. Yeah. And he's like, he's talking to Norman, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you're washed up. Well, no, cause, yeah, <laughs> is this the one where, where Norman, he first, he first he gets the phone call that Norman, like, stole an ambulance or something? Yeah, and he then, stole an ambulance. And then Norman and... comes walking in, and he's like, mm-hmm. hey, Norman. <laughs> Yeah. So we get the idea that Norman's a drunk and he's kind of out of control. Yeah. Right? And now we have some caviar flirting. Yeah. And this is when I went, uh oh. Because I forgot that Frederick March is a really goddamn good actor. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. You know how we we tend to think of old-timey actors as, you know, being kind of rigid and stiff when it comes to their dialogue? They say it so quickly and so so snappy and there's no uhs or anything in it. Boy, he's pushing that boundary, isn't he, Steve? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's one of the he's one of the best actors ever because he seems so far ahead of so many other actors in his generation. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's too bad he's trapped in this fucking melodrama. <laughs> anyway, he winds up talking with uh, with uh, with Esther and uh, over some caviar. Then the girlfriend walks up and goes, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm just talking to a girl <laughs> in front of you, my girlfriend at a party. Leave we came me to alone." <laughs> So Esther leaves, and she's now washing up the dishes, and Norman comes in, and he wants to help her out, and in the progression of the scene, a lot of dishes get broken. Yes, yes. Because first she says, what does she say? She says he's washed up, and he breaks a dish or something. Right. And then um, he breaks another dish for some reason. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he, he break, yeah, he breaks the first dish, and she's like, oh, shit, I'm not going to be able to explain that, and then he breaks another one, and then his mm-hmm. girlfriend comes in and catches him, and she breaks a plate over his head. A platter over his head. Yeah, and then he's like, okay, let's get out of here. And she's like... Hey, come on, come with me. Yeah, Yeah. and she's like, well, but I can't. I have to finish the dishes. And then he breaks all the dishes. Yeah, he says, no, you don't. (laughs) Let's go. Run out. The rules don't apply to people like us. That's right. And then a normie drunk drives her home. Yep. (laughs) 
and walks her to her door. And does he kiss her? I can't remember. I, does he kiss her? Um, I think he does, yeah. He gives her a quick it's kiss. It's kind of a, a peck, yeah. Kiss. Yeah. And he he says a line that gets repeated a lot at the end of this movie. Yeah. He, yeah. He, as she's going in to her building, he says, I just wanted to get one last look. And she's all like, hey, hey, my lady parts. He likes and me. And she goes in at three o'clock that morning. <laughs> Normie wakes up Oliver out of a sleep where he's screaming no at everybody (laughs) and wants to get a screen test for her. And he agrees. And then we get an extended, we get an extended phone book looking for scene where he's looking, it takes him 10 full minutes (laughs) to locate a phone book and then call her on the phone. Yes. It goes on for this. Why is this? The classic. Why is this, Steve? It's the classic (laughs) drunk guy trying to call somebody vaudeville bit. You know, that classic bit. And then when he calls her, he says, I'm going to get you a screen test, right? Yeah. And she's like, yay. And then it's time for the screen test, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah. And she's nervous. And we actually don't really see the screen test. No. We see all the shit around it, like people pushing her and prodding her and a guy spraying for bugs and <clears throat> people yelling and a disinterested director doesn't even know her name and all this other stuff. But we actually don't see her screen test. Right. But of course she's signed to a contract. Immediately. Yes. Why? Because she's just Why? that good. We we never actually see her act and be good, but trust, uh, trust, trust us. She's just that good. Okay, great. So then she meets her press agent, and she gets a name change. Yeah, Vicky Lester. And then they make, yeah, they make up a whole fake backstory for her, right? Yeah. And uh, then we cut to the commissary, and Normie is drinking his breakfast, <laughs> which is an egg with some salt on it. Yeah, right? for the hangover. And we discover, as we see Esther saying her lines, that Esther can't act. (laughs) (laughs) She just can't decide which wacky voice to say her one line in. That's right, because she's got one line in a picture. Yeah, right. she really wants to nail it. Yeah, but then Norman says, hey, we're looking for this woman, and oh, hey, you can be in it, right, Steve? Yeah, never occurred to me for some reason until just now. Until just now that you'd be perfect for this movie. (laughs) That you, the person I got a screen test for, would be perfect for this movie. Right, yeah. and then he convinces Oliver to put her in the movie, and so then she's in the movie, and of course, of course, Steve, she's a hit. She, everybody, everybody likes her. Everybody loves her, and you know what else? They forget all about Norman. Yeah, they all. If they say anything, it's about he's all washed yeah, up or whatever. He's through. Because if we haven't, yeah, we haven't gotten it yet. He's through. He's done. His career's over. <laughs> Anyway, then they go to the fights and he proposes to her. Yeah, right? yeah, and she it basically works out that if he will learn to be more responsible with his money and stop drinking, and stop drinking that she'll marry him. And he's like, "Okay." Here's a here's a pro tip for all our younger audience members. If one of the conditions of getting married is the other person has to stop drinking, don't marry them. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That's that's hard time. That's hard time you're signing yourself up for. Because here's here's what's probably going to happen, and I know you don't want to hear this, but they're not going to quit drinking. <laughs> it's not going to happen. That's right. And even if they got, had their mouths torn off in some sort of bizarre accident, they'd still be able to put the liquor up their butt. And don't think they wouldn't try it either. They would try it. They would totally try it. <laughs> 
Not saying that you can't stop drinking. That's that's incorrect. Of but course. it is a very, very, very difficult thing to do, and it's even becomes more difficult when you have someone with you. Yeah. It's better to have someone quit drinking altogether yeah. and be sober for a little while before you ever marry them. Yeah. Because marriage brings its own things, and some people can't cope with the new things involved. Right, Steve? Absolutely. Don't, don't put that on yourself or on the other person. They yeah. should quit drinking but, because they want to quit drinking, not because it's a condition of your marriage. <laughs> but Esther and Norman don't have friends like us, no. so they get married. Yep. They get married, they elope, right? Because yeah. the, the studio wants to get involved and they want to turn into this gigantic thing. So they elope, they go to San Varno, which isn't a real place, and they and they get married in the jail, right? Yeah, the Justice of the Peace marries them real quick-like. That's right. And as they're leaving, um, Libby, the press agent, comes up and he's like, hey, gosh darn it. And they're like, ha ha ha, you missed it. You can't use this for press. <laughs> Fuck you. And then... And then Libby runs into a courtroom mid-trial, mm-hmm. grabs the phone off of the judge's desk. <laughs> he sure and does. He does doesn't have. He's not supposed to have that. <laughs> grabs it. He does not get arrested. Everybody just stands there and lets him do it. Yeah, for some, some reason. And he calls in that you know that Vicky Lester, which is her stage name, and Norman Maine just got married. And then the judge goes, Vicky Lester, and Norman Maine. And everyone jumps up, and he says, court dismissed? Yeah. And they all run out of the courtroom? (laughs) All criminals are released! They wouldn't... They book it. I mean, if he had said bomb, people would have been slower to get out of the room. <laughs> so then they go on a honeymoon, and we, we get a... They go on a honeymoon in a trailer in the mountains. Yes, they do. And we get a prolonged trailer joke. And it's so funny. Because that was something that people were doing, starting to do, is to go on trips with trailers, and it's funny because the trailers is small, and... <sighs> Yeah. Anyway, it's that great. doesn't go anywhere and it leads to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but we find out that Norman Maine is all washed up again. But Vicky, she's done uh, one whole movie. Yep. And she's super famous. Now she's the queen of Hollywood. And of course they have a mansion now. Mm-hmm. And a beach house. They, well, though, do they have both? A mansion and a beach house? Yeah, they do. Because remember when they're going around in the b- the backyard of the mansion, she says, Oh, I thought we were going to live at the beach house. Oh. Uh, and he's like, Oh, we'll yeah, paint the beach house, sweetheart. Well, yeah, she just worked so hard for all this. Anyway, so she... Uh, they they go, and in case we haven't gotten it yet, Norman is all washed up because they take him photos of the newlyweds, and then they just want pictures of her, yeah. and then Norman goes and talks to Oliver, and he's like, I want to cancel my contract, and Oliver's like, no. And then we cut immediately to a headline that says Norman's contract has been canceled. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, uh, all right. Thanks, newspaper. But it's okay because Esther and Norman are still in love. Yes, they're still they're very happy together. And Norman, yeah, they're so cute. Yeah, he spends his time at home during the day while she's at the studio, and he's teaching, answering phone calls about her, and teaching himself how to cook, which apparently means learning how to make a sandwich. Yeah, Yeah. uh, that has some sort of obscure brown substance <laughs> is it is it, it like it's... a meatloaf sandwich like I, i'm sorry she says it's too big for her mouth shut up open your mouth yeah, and eat that open your mouth just bite a corner off Jeez what is Louise. wrong with you your mouth is not and that this small is... 
just comes and gets up because someone's at the door while they're kissing and it's a delivery man the delivery man doesn't recognize him yep. and then he says the cruelest thing ever where he says oh uh, please sign here Mr. Lester and that stabs into his big masculine heart <laughs> bum, kills bum, him bum. And he comes in and he's all depressed. Yeah. Delivers her package, tells her she's got a bunch of messages. It doesn't, it's got to go laid down. Yeah. Well, he fixes himself a drink. Oh, that's right. Oh, no, a drink. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. He's off the wagon. We're going to go get a drink. And, but, and she goes, but you. And that's as far as she gets. <laughs> Whatever. So, of course, Vicky wins an Academy Award. <laughs> she, well, obviously. She's the queen of Hollywood. But, oh no, she's there, but Norman's not there, and she's like, I wonder where Norman is, and and he's like, well, maybe he's late, and she's like, I wish Norman was here, and I'm like, don't wish that, because it's going to be bad. <laughs> hey, here he comes. Norman comes in to the Academy Awards. Back in the day, before the Academy Awards were on TV, the Academy Awards were a dinner where right. they awarded stuff, and it might be on the radio. Right. right. So he just stumbles into this thing, and he's drunk, and he's pissed off, and he's yelling at everybody, and um, and it's awful. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, you gave her best actress. How about you give me an award for worst actor? Ah, I want mm-hmm. my fucking worst actor, Oscar, you pieces of shit. Everything we wish would happen in the Academy Awards happens in this. Yeah, it would be the best Oscars ever if it actually happened. (laughs) Some bitter, passed-by, washed-up has-been just storms the stage and reads the whole fucking room the riot act. (laughs) Pushes Whoopi or whoever is doing the Academy Awards that year. They didn't even have a host this year, did they? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, that must have been great. (laughs) Don't you shut that orchestra the fuck up. You're not, nobody's playing me off for shit. (laughs) Put your goddamn violin bows down. This fights with security as they (laughs) rush out to the stage. I'm not done! TV cuts to a Pampers commercial. (laughs) Shit! (laughs) Take your fucking hand off me! That would be great. The audio is still playing over the Pampers commercial. Get the fuck away from me. Clunk. That's what you get. How's it feel to be struck by an Oscar statue? They cut back to the Academy Awards. He's pummeled someone's head into paste with the, with the Oscar. <laughs> and he's like brandishing it like a fucking club. Like, Come he's, on, who's he's next? He's climbed one of the giant Oscars in the back and he's... He's he's swinging at him like King Kong. <laughs> <sighs> you want you want to know how to fix the Oscars? We just told you. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Esther's a, bi- a bigger hit than ever, and Norman is in the loony bin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's in a sanitarium. Uh huh. So Oliver goes and visits him, and uh, he's like, "Hey, I got work for you, Norman, but it's not the lead." And Norman lies to him and says, "Oh, I think I'm, I got parts other places. I got I got uh, a lead, and at I just made it up studios where I'm gonna be playing the king of everything in Hollywood." Yeah, it's a role. What is he says? I'm like, it's a role that all the other actors would give their teeth to play. You've never heard of it. Yeah, you've never heard of it. But fuck <laughs> but you. But trust me. Goodbye. It's a big deal. And then we cut to the racetrack, and Norman's there, and everyone's, oh boy, they say there's nothing worse than a has-been, and he's just kind of drifting around, and then he runs into Libby at the bar. Yeah. 
then Libby's like, I've never liked you. I, I, I hate you. <laughs> and then they get in a fight. Yeah. And after the fight was broken up, um, Libby's like, um, don't, don't, don't. It's all right. It's fine. And Norman's drinking again. <laughs> yeah, he orders a scotch. And then we I think that we cut from there to Esther saying, no one's seen Norman for four days. <laughs> hmm. And then they get a phone call, and he's been arrested. Uh-oh. And so she goes to the courtroom, and they bring out all the drunks, and they call up each drunk, and he goes, they go, I don't get it. And then they take, because somehow they're still drunk. And <laughs> he gets up there, and the judge recognizes him, and... um the judge has some pointed words saying, you've had all, you've had opportunities, more people, and you've ruined it. And if you, if you haven't gotten that message, what he's basically saying is, it's not the system's fault. It's, the, yeah. it's your fault if you fail at this. You blew it. <laughs> That's right. The system isn't a monster machine no. that chews people up and spits them out whenever they want. Everything in Hollywood is fine. Don't you dare try You're- to blame this on Hollywood. Beautiful, perfect Hollywood. You're not you're not much more than a piece of chewing gum and once your flavor's gone, you're tucked up under the bar stool of life. That's the way it ought to be. <laughs> so shut up. And he sentences him to ninety days. But Esther steps in. Yeah. Ninety days. Yeah. Okay. The teenage kid who looks like he's about to lose sight in one of his eyes and has a bandage on his head, he he gets a suspended sentence, yeah. right? But he gets 90 days, but Esther steps in and goes, please, I'll take care of him. He can't do 90 days. Jail will destroy him. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. So they're back at the house. He's laying down in his room. Esther and Oliver are talking. And then and then Oliver says something so unbelievable that I, I had to rewind to make sure he said it. He said, you've worked really hard to get where you are. <laughs> Probably off camera, right? We just didn't see the working hard part. Yeah, she she struggled and worked. She sacrificed a lot to get where she is, right? Well, right, sure. Steve? She 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 rode on a train that she didn't buy a ticket for <laughs> with someone else's money. Well, yeah, she uh, she paid her bills. Lived off with, the kindness of strangers. Lived off the kindness of strangers. Uh, got her first screen test because uh, an already famous actor liked her. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so she, what she tells Oliver is, "I'm not going to be an actress anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice my career for Norman." Norman hears that, and then Oliver goes, "Okay, well, bye, I guess." And she's like, "Bye." And then Norman comes out, and he's all happy, and he's like, "Hi, I'm going to commit suicide. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go for a swim. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. No suicide. I'm not. Well, that's crazy. Who'd do that? Not me. Noble sacrifice for my wife." Career. No, I'm not. You're. I'm just gonna go swimming with all these rocks in my pockets. Okay. <laughs> See you later. When I'll still be alive. And she's like, okay, bye bye. And then he goes out to the ocean and he swims out. Yeah, he literally right? he literally marches into the sea. <laughs> Everybody talks about it. He uh-huh. went and did it. He did it. He did it, done did it. And she doesn't know that that's what he's doing, right? Because he's like, you know, putting a happy face on stuff. Yeah. She's kind of upset that she's sacrificing her career, but she's willing to do it because she loves him. Exactly, right? yes. But then we see the newspaper headline that he died in a tragic accident, so no one knows that that's what he did. Yep. And the funeral is a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people are, like, you know, running around her, and somebody fucking pulls her veil off. 
and says, "Oh, he wasn't that much." Yeah. Don't don't cry. He wasn't that much. Yeah. Thanks. So remember, it's not the system. It's you and the people who like it. <laughs> yes, They're exactly. the awful ones. <laughs> yes, exactly. Fans are the ones that dictate everything. They're the monsters, not us. We just do what the monsters say. <laughs> and you're the monsters. <laughs> you people sitting in the theater watching this. <laughs> you're the monsters. And now she's still dressed in black, and uh, she's moving. You know, she's quitting the movie. She's moving yep. back home. Yeah. And just as we're all saying, didn't she have a family? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it's great. She lives in two mansions. And she's the most famous woman in the fucking world, and um, her family just fucking. Di- Are they still in South Dakota? Her father sitting in the same chair, <laughs> looking at stereoscopic <laughs> pictures, going, "I wonder where my daughter went." Didn't I used to have another child? Just as we're thinking that, her magic granny shows up. Yeah. Hasn't aged a day. Hasn't aged a day. She comes in, sits her down, and basically says, nut up or shut up. (laughs) Oh, so you're going to quit now, huh, chicken shit? I don't think so. You're going to get your ass back to that studio and keep making movies if you know what's good for you. Make some of that do-re-mi. And so she changes her mind. She's going to stay. Yep. We cut to uh, her new premiere of one of her movies, right? Yeah, her name and lights, her big comeback movie. And Danny gets out, and it looks like Danny's found love with Granny. Yeah, Danny and Granny. Good for them, you know? Good for them. Just find someone who makes you happy. Because Granny's going to the premiere. And they, Danny and her walk up, and there's a radio thing guy there, and he, for some reason, wants this dingy old bitch to say something into the <laughs> micro- microphone, and she says something along the lines of, well, it took me a long time to get here, but I got here. And I'm like, when did this become your dream, old lady? Yeah, you never said when- shit about wanting to be a movie star. <laughs> And what did you do other than give your da- your granddaughter some money? Yeah. And then come to visit her years later. <laughs> her granny signal went off. Yeah. She's like, oh no, it's her darkest hour. I must go. <laughs> I better go bully her into keeping, continuing <laughs> She wakes up thing. from a dead, she sits both upright from a dead sleep, <laughs> throws on some clothes, hustles outside through the snow, carjacks a dude. Oh my god. <laughs> Drives to the railway, has to chase the train, and then jumps from the car to the train, gets onto the train, beats up the conductor to get free to ride because she has no money. Gets all the way to L.A. That's what she did for her granddaughter. Oh, my God. That's a movie. She's like the, she's like the, the caretaker from The Shining. When, he, <laughs> when Danny calls him, he's like, I'm coming, boy. Yeah, but there's no X for you at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> oh god well i'm finally here x for you <laughs> why was this in the movie <laughs> why did i do th- why am i even why is this a thing you needed a dead body that bad <laughs> fuck you only non-white character <laughs> fuck you Okay, we're talking about anyway, Shining now. Okay. Anyway, anyway, that didn't happen in A Star is Born. So uh, Vicky, or Esther, or whatever you want to call her, she comes up to the microphone. Yeah. And what does she say, Steve? <sighs> she says, hello, everybody. This is Mrs. Norman Maine. And there's a swell of music. Her eyes are filled with tears. And then we cut back to the fucking script. <laughs> yep. And then the movie's over. Yeah, thank God. That's the end of the movie. 
Okay, Steve. Okay, okay, Steve, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Steve? Yes. What do you think Mm -hmm. of this 1937 drama at the end (laughs) movie, A Star is Born? Liked it, didn't love it, <laughs> I think would be the best okay. way to describe it. I didn't... Ha- Shortest podcast ever. <laughs> I didn't... After I watched... Because I had never seen it before I watched it for this. Yeah. And I watched it the, the day before we were recording this. And I I kind of had to think about it. Usually when we, when we watch movies for this podcast, whether it's a movie I've already seen or something I'm seeing for the first time, I have a pretty good handle on my reaction right away. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes it takes a little bit for me to articulate it, but I have a sense of, okay, I really like that or I really didn't like that. And with this movie, it just it didn't draw out all that much of a reaction from me. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was just, oh, okay. I guess that was fine. Um, <laughs> I, it, I, I enjoyed the performances, especially Frederick March. As we've already mentioned, Frederick March yep. is legitimately one of the best dramatic actors ever in the history of movies. He takes lines that would be nothing for any other actor and invests them with so much authenticity and character. It's it's kind of amazing. Um, he really carries this movie on his back in a lot of different ways. He's he's phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. Janet Gaynor is good too. I don't want to take anything away from her. I think I think she she does a really good job, and her and March together create this relationship between Esther and Norman that for the most part to me feels authentic. They, they, they seem, I think, well, once we, once they're, they're, the, they're getting together feels very rushed and very contrived. But once, Mm. once we see them as a couple, like, I feel like they, they have good chemistry together. They seem very natural. They seem to, to truly love each other. Yeah. Rather than one using the other or resenting the other. Like, even when Norman starts to go downhill and and his career is over while hers is is peaking, he never really takes it out on her. I mean, obviously it bothers him and he has that meltdown at the Academy Awards, but he doesn't really direct it at her. He doesn't say, it's all your fault. You know, (laughs) I gave you your start. Now look at me. Like, he doesn't do that. He. You know, they seem to genuinely care about each other, and obviously he's what, lamenting his career. Right? Yeah, he's not blaming it on her, and and obviously he chooses to kill himself ultimately because he hears that she is willing to give up her career for him, and he's like, "Oh shit, I can't let this happen. I'll walk mm-hmm. into the sea. Um, I can't. I can't stop drinking. I can't. Yeah. I can't stop drinking, and I can't live without being famous." And I don't want her to sacrifice a And so, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm just going to do it. There's no way I could have a happy life with a successful wife and not drinking. That's an impossibility. (laughs) So. So suicide. Here I come, Ocean. <laughs> but but I do I buy I for the most part once we get to that <sighs> part of the film where they're married I I buy that relationship I think that relationship works and I think it's largely due to the performances. There are two really big problems that I have with the movie. One is that once Esther gets signed to a contract and becomes a star, the movie ceases to be about her and it yep. shifts it it shifts its focus almost entirely to Norman. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It kind of makes sense. You have the rise of one star followed by the fall of another. That that kind of makes sense. But in this case, it has this unfortunate effect of moving a woman from the center of her own story and making her a supporting player in a man's story. 
and we don't really see much of her rise to fame. You know, it just sort of happens, and you don't actually see her struggle. You don't actually see her become a good actress. She just kind of gets handed things, and then all of a sudden she's a big star. And then the movie's like, okay, we're done. Now you're now you become a supporting character because now the movie is really about this guy. Um, and that feels kind of wrong. There's also this really weird juggle that happens near the end where we get that final scene with Norman and Esther where he walks out onto the beach. And before he goes, he he repeats the just one more look line to her. And then yep. and then he walks outside and, and swims into the ocean and dies. Right. The scene. Yeah. The scene is acted and shot as though that's going to be the end of the movie. Right. And that would have been a hell of an ending. <laughs> But then the movie keeps going. And, oh, yeah. and and when I when I was watching it, because I actually I was kind of thinking that was going to be the end because the way it was shot, the music swelling, the, the you know, it's like, OK, that's the end. Right. He makes his noble sacrifice. The end. Right. Um, and then the movie kept going. And I thought, OK, well, maybe now they're going to keep the movie going for a little bit because they want to shift the focus back to Esther, because the movie's been about Norman for the last act, at least. And now it's like, oh, but this was supposed this is a star is born. This is supposed to be Esther's story. And they do right. and they do that they shift the focus back to esther we have the scene with her and oliver where she's saying i'm quitting the, the movie business and then granny comes back and it's like oh okay so they wanted to they wanted to end on esther right that seems that seems right but then it veers back again in the final moments when uh-huh. she goes up to the microphone and she says hello this is mrs norman maine Right. Not only is that a problem for me because of what I already said, it's a woman's story becoming a man's story. And because Uh and because Esther, you know, she realizes her dream of stardom only ultimately to choose to define herself relative to her husband. But it also gives the story this sense of being unfocused. It's hard to figure out what this movie is supposed to be about because it swerves Mm -hmm. so often. It goes, it's like, okay, maybe actually, maybe it is about her and her achieving her dream and persevering through heartache and loss. Mrs. Norman Maine. It's it. it, And it just, and and that, that last line, because it swerves, even though that last line is a, is a big problem for me, it could have landed better than it does. If the movie had been more consistently about that, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just not, it's been about that and about a bunch of other things. Um, The other big problem I have is that this movie is Hollywood giving itself a big sloppy (laughs) blowjob. And not for the first time, and not for the last time. And that won't be for the last time, either. Hollywood loves to do this. Hollywood loves to make movies about how great it is. Um, And so this isn't, it's not the only example of this, but this time we have, you know, a woman making it to the top. She has a moment near the end after enduring some hardship and tragedy where she says, you know what, maybe being a famous actress isn't the whole world. Maybe it isn't worth it. Maybe I should go home and and find a, a, a new way to have a fulfilling life. Yeah. And then in swoops Granny out of nowhere, and she's like, "No, Hollywood is worth it. Hollywood is everything. Don't, this is what you want. Don't give up on Hollywood. If you walk she away, should be saying that directly to the audience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she basically says, "You don't quit Hollywood. Hollywood quits you." 
That's the way mm-hmm. it works. You can't change it now. You came here. You're in for life until they spit you right. out. Um, and you know, Just make sure you marry an oil mogul or somebody before your career is over. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's obviously which is in about three years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's basically we're embellishing a bit, but that's basically the message. And you you mentioned it a couple times when we were summarizing it that uh, repeatedly the movie shifts the blame for the hardships experienced by the characters either to themselves and their poor choices or to what goes on around hollywood to the fans to the media it's never hollywood itself all the producers we see in this movie are saints there are these yep. loving pater- especially oliver oliver he's this paternalistic figure he's a wonderful caring mentor he offers norman a job when he doesn't have to because he just wants to help him get back on his feet he's never anything other than than caring and sensitive and and loving toward uh, uh esther you know he's never exploitative yep. he never it's and it's like this is such a fairy tale and it it i couldn't help but think of singing in the rain when i was watching it which isn't fair because Singing in the Rain came later and is a, yeah. and is a lot better. <laughs> like cover, uh-huh. covers a lot of the same ground, um, but is just a lot better because it leans more toward comedy as opposed to melodrama than this. But um, mm-hmm. it's 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 just it's so difficult to take. You know, Hollywood celebrating itself in this kind of way when it is a mostly serious movie. There's some comedy in here, but it's a mostly uh, fairly. St- I would say that up until a point, this movie is a comedy. I would say for the first act, it's a comedy, and then it kind of shifts to melodrama. Um, Once they're married, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's so it's just it's and that that's kind of difficult for me to take because it's like okay, I get it. Hollywood has always been in love with itself, and it's and it probably explains why this movie has been remade so often because it's it, and even when they shift the focus to the music industry, like well, it's show business. It's show business celebrating itself and saying, look how wonderful show business is. And even though you might run into a few bumps in the road, you can still live your dreams, and it's great. And we wouldn't mm-hmm. really want to change it, would we? Um, you know, so that. That, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth as well. So that's why I say overall, I don't hate it. I have some problems with it. Uh, I like it mostly for the performances and, and primarily for Frederick March, who is just fantastic. So I will say that I like it, but I didn't love it. A, a very, very mild sort of <laughs> recommendation for me. <laughs> my turn. Go for it. I don't think too many people know what a melodrama is. A melodrama is not like a drama, right. which is supposed to be serious and be a little grounded. A melodrama is sensationalistic yeah. and heightened, and this movie is a f- fucking melodrama. <laughs> if you wanted to get a definition of what a melodrama is, watch this movie, because it is, no, number one, not realistic by in any way, shape, or form. They were not interested in showing us what Hollywood was really like. They weren't interested in showing us the 100,000 other girls that did not get movie roles and what happened with them right. and what their lives are like. Instead, they opted to tell a fairy tale. And they opted to tell the fairy tale that they've been spitting out. And by 1937, they had a myth about Hollywood. Yeah. That a nobody from nowhere can come to Hollywood, be discovered, and become a star. Right? Yeah. And it can happen overnight, just overnight. They can become a star. And they wanted to push that narrative hard. But they had a problem. 
No one's going to want to come in and watch a movie where everyone's just winning all the time. So let's put some drama in there. And then that's when they came up with the drunk husband. And then they had another problem, which is we don't we can't put any villains in it because the villains would be the studio people. And the studio has to be super great. So what did we wind up with? We wound up with a melodrama with no villain, with no (laughs) bad guy. The closest thing we get is Libby. But even Libby says, I was just trying to do my job to keep your name out of the press and now that you're not working no more, I don't have to pretend to like you anymore or whatever, right? That's the closest we get. Does he get punished for it? Nope, he doesn't. (laughs) He does not. This movie is just... I think you're frozen, Steve. Oh, no, I'm here. <laughs> I'm just looking down. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was, he was just staring at the floor, I'm just, and I'm like, oh, shit. I'm just shit. looking down at something. I'm sorry. The I'm, Skype I'm, call I'm, went I'm, out. I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> you are not either. I'm done. done. <laughs> bad movie, bad. Um, what I was going to say is is that I have a lot of the same problems with the movie that Steve has, yeah. and that is is that it doesn't really want to take its subject matter seriously. If it did, this would be a much different movie. I agree with you that Frederick March is one of the greatest actors we've ever had on screen, <laughs> and he's really, really good in this movie. I disagree with you about Janet Gaynor. She's one note, for the most part. She has, she has an on-off switch. <laughs> on, she's happy, perky, plucky. Nothing can get her down. Off, she's crying about something. On, she's happy, perky, plucky. <laughs> Off, she's crying about something. Fair at enough. no point do Fair we enough. ever... With She is the main character, but at no point in this movie is she anything but the stereotypical supportive housewife yeah. when they're together, right? Yeah. We're supposed to be, I guess, feel really bad for Norma because she makes all the money now. They make pointed references about that to him, about how it's a good thing that she's making all the money now, and all he has to do is be retired and drink, right? Yeah. It's the slow demasculinization of Norman because he's no longer acting. But we got to remember, it's not the studio's fault. I guess it's just his fault and maybe the audience's fault. At, at the end, when she makes her first big movie and everyone's coming out talking about how great she is, they're also talking about how lousy he is. Any reasons behind it? No. None that we get to see because we never get to see any of the fucking movies they make. <laughs> we see a brief scene with the two of them together in this movie called The the Master Pompadour or whatever yeah. the hell it's called. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. But she is always loving, always supporting, willing to make sacrifices for him, right? And then we get his sacrifice in the end. And I want to point out the sacrifice because it folds into the fairy tale. And the fairy tale is, isn't it better being dead than not famous? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Because that's what he's looking at. We Let's go over this. He, A lot of people like to interpret this as he kills himself so she can continue her career. That's what a lot of people push as the narrative. Uh, no. If that was the case, he'd just divorce her, right? There's a thing called divorce. They did it all the time. <laughs> But he was also looking at not having a career, still having a wife that's more famous than him, and drinking. So he had all of that other stuff in there, too. Since he couldn't quit drinking, I guess, and he couldn't be happy when he's not famous, even though when he was famous, he didn't seem that happy, did he? No, not really. Or have we, all, or have we, well, we only really met him on his downfall, right? Yeah, true. His start was already lowering at that point. So, what is my overall feeling about the movie? It's a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
some of the writing is good. Some of the performances are great. Some of the shots are, are, are interesting. But the script itself is just melodrama. It's just there to try to manipulate your feelings, right? You're just there to cry for it at the end, and you're there to cheer her on at the beginning. You have nothing invested in her. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing at all. She just wants to be a movie star because I guess she wants glamour or whatever else. She, she says nothing about, I want to be an actress because it's what I love to do. Nope. She just wants to be in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. She just wants to be famous. She just wants to be famous. And there are a couple of little throwaway lines in there about, you know, what it's like to be famous, but it's never played as something dark, right? No. They have these wacky things that they do because they're famous now, like when they run away to get married or when they have to sneak out of a theater. <laughs> and it's just, it's happy and fun. And who doesn't want to have this life? Keep liking us. Don't judge us. Don't judge us as an industry. Please. Please don't judge us as an industry. <laughs> but in the reality of 1937, is it impossible someone coming from nowhere could become a star? No, it's not impossible. It happens. It happens. Yeah. But the thing that you have to remember is is that that story that they're telling us that they were discovered out of nowhere is usually a fucking lie. <laughs> it's usually a great big lie. And what they were doing was they were working their fucking ass off doing other things as dancers mm -hmm. or chorus line girls or extras or something else. And then they just happen to get discovered by somebody, you know? When we, we mentioned this ourselves, Boris Karloff got discovered to play Frankenstein while he was working in the commissary. You know why he was in the commissary? Because he was doing extra work and doing other parts. Frankenstein was not his first movie. Yeah. It was his breakout. It was his great breakout part. You know how else he did that? Humphrey Bogart. You know how else he did that? Almost everybody in fucking Hollywood. Yeah. Everyone in Hollywood was busting their ass trying to make themselves into a big star. And this movie comes along and peddles the myth. You can just show up maybe for a few weeks you know you'll be struggling or whatever but then you'll get discovered and then you'll become famous and you don't need talent and you don't need anything else because we'll train you up for that if you have the right look or something right steve that's it absolutely you won't e you won't even have Which to get was... a side job <laughs> you won't even have to get a job your granny will send you money until you get discovered and become a famous actor uh-huh so while I appreciate some of the dialogue and some of the scenes and some of the stuff in it that's funny, the overall message of the film is garbage. The depiction of Hollywood is garbage. And I honestly, honestly think that this was made for those fanatic people who loved films to go and watch and think, yeah, that could be me. I could do that. Yeah. <clears throat> I, can, I could just pick up and leave town and move to Hollywood. And a lot of people did it. And a lot of people suffered for it. Because outside of Hollywood was desert. <laughs> there was nothing. Thing. A lot of those family-owned businesses in, in, in L.A. Were, were done by people who came to Hollywood, could not find work, and started work doing what they were doing back in the state that they came from, yeah. right? You know, you came from your dad's tailor shop, you couldn't get any work, you opened a tailor shop, <laughs> you opened a restaurant, you opened something. Those stories are interesting, and it's never been told. It's never. That's the thing that's most frustrating, is it, it kind of starts around this point, where they start talking about Hollywood in the third person in their own movies, and yet they're still pushing the fucking myth. Yeah, And once again, it's the actor's fault if they have a fall from grace. Not the studio. They did the same thing in fucking Sunset Boulevard. And this oh, yeah. movie is 50 years after this one. So I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Frederick March. If someone could make a, a clip of just all of his stuff in this movie, he's he's so good. He's so he's good. He's so good. In this fucking soap opera melodrama piece of shit. I just... 
I hate the ending for the same reasons that Steve does. Yeah. It's like, I don't have an identity anymore. <laughs> I'm a widow. But I know what the, I know what the studio was going for. It, theirs was not necessarily a um, patriarchal statement at the end. Their statement was, see, even the dude that killed himself and isn't famous anymore will still live on in through his wife. Yeah. Immortality. Immortality. The end. Now, before we go on to our whatevers, mm-hmm. Steve. Yes. Why has this been made, remade three times? Oh, why boy. this melodramatic pile of goop? This, th- why, Steve? I have two theories. The first theory, okay. the first theory that we have already discussed a little bit is that I honestly think there is nothing that Hollywood loves more than to just stare at itself in the mirror. <laughs> And that's what this movie is. And even and even though the uh, the subsequent ones move it into the music industry yeah. a, a, instead of being directly about being a famous film star, it's kind of the same thing, you know. Yeah. It's it's showbiz. It's okay. There, it's mm-hmm. there. It's about the music industry, but it's really come on, <laughs> you know what it's really about. Um, so I think that's part of it. The other thing is, and I can't, I don't know for sure because I haven't seen any of the other versions either. Uh, so I don't know what they are like compared to this, but I suspect that maybe none of them are all that great. So every generation, it's like they just want to take another crack at it and say, oh, the, I will have to say this. The 54 improves. Yeah. Um, the Esther character is is more um, is more well-rounded. They actually go in. They go more into the relationship between the two of them. They evolve the Norman character a bit more. Um, and they really it's you know, it's post-war um, psychology at this point. Mm. So they're more willing to take characters into darker places. She has a this uh, Judy Garland has this great monologue about how she hates him and she hates herself while they're in the midst of all that. It's more of a realistic reaction to yeah. being, you know, being in a relationship with someone who is self-destructive. So it's, there's a little bit more meat with your potatoes, <laughs> but you also get a three hour running time. Oh my God. So, <laughs> oh my God. And, and it's a musical, but it's a diegetic musical. Right. So it's not like she stops in in mid monologue to start singing about how much she hates herself and she hates her husband. Right. There's sometimes. a reason for the music to be there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also because it's Judy Garland, a lot of the subject matter hits harder, mm-hmm. especially now that we know more about her sure. and her struggles with, with substance abuse. The 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 one with Barbara Streisand <laughs> It's 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 it got panned. It got panned for a reason. It was still a hit, yeah. but I mean, it's it's. It, there was a lot more women's conscious women women's liberty in it. Yeah, she uh, she never takes her his name at the end of the movie. She has a hyphenated last name with him. You know, yeah. but there's more. She's more force. She's more forceful. She's more of a force of nature. But the the you can't get away from the melodrama <laughs> of it. Well, no, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And as far as this latest one, I have no idea. I have I haven't seen yeah, it. I haven't seen it. I'll probably see it when it comes out on. Netflix, maybe? Yeah, the same here. Maybe. I'll probably, I'll just make an effort to see it. So what do you but think? I mean, do you have any theories about why this has been remade three times? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I will say this. At least when they come back to it, they are adding something more yeah. to the skeleton of the, of the plot. You know, they're kind of expanding on it and bringing, you know, different sensibilities based on the when it was made, right? In the yeah. 1970s, it was all about rock. So there's a lot of stuff in there. But it's not just window dressing that they're changing. They're also kind of changing and adapting the characters to fit when the movie was made. So the 1950s version of what a pop singer is is much different than what a rock singer is in the 1970s. 70s, which I have no doubt is much different than what a pop star is now yeah. um, in the 1980s. Um, so I think the only thing that can change are the characters and how we approach them. My understanding is is that they do a lot of work with uh, with uh, the Norman character in the current movie. Mm-hmm. But I think that the reason why they remade it, because it was a hit, but it, I mean, it wasn't a huge hit, right? right? But I have a feeling that the reason why they remake it is because there's something inherent in the subject matter that makes people who like the thing that they're making it about want to see it, right? Yeah. There is a lot of wish fulfillment in this movie. Oh, yeah. Right? When they made this movie, there were millions of girls and women in the United States that had that dream, right? Mm-hmm. They had that dream of going to Hollywood, becoming an actress, becoming famous. And this movie is literally step for step. I have become, you know, becoming famous the easy way with no talent. (laughs) And then they throw in a little melodrama so that, you know, you can be a little upset. But in the end, she's still famous and she's still on top. And I think that that goes holds true for the millions of girls in this country who want to become a pop star and for their boyfriends who will take them to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that there is a lot of, you know, there is a lot of wish fulfillment in this film. It's like, oh, look, they went through this and went through this. They may be able to change the, the path, make it so that this person has talent and they're working hard to get to a point, rather than just luck falling in this, into this person's lap and making it seem like destiny or something like that. Right. But um, I think that that's mostly it. And I, and I think you're hard-pressed to be able to find another movie that you could readily update that easily, generation to generation. You tried to do Castle Try to remake Casablanca and now, and now set it in oh I don't know Vietnam. Let's yeah. let's put it in Cambodia. <laughs> that doesn't work anymore. No. <laughs> Let's do Casablanca during one of the Gulf Wars. Does does that yeah. does that work again? No, no. it doesn't. <laughs> No, really. but this one is so generic and so fictional that it's easy to pull the skeleton out and cram it into some newer guts <laughs> and say, look, this is a little bit made. This is good. Yeah. All right, that's it. Classic, not classic. Not classic. Not classic. I don't know. What about you? Uh, I mean, I guess I will say classic, but just barely. Like, I don't I don't think it's great. I think it's okay. I, I, I'm... I'm middling review just barely leaning toward positive (laughs) that's what i'll say all right okay so steve what are you going to recommend for a nice audience not recommend for a nice audience oh boy i've got a doozy to not recommend this time okay oh man so you know sometimes i'll recommend a movie or i'll not recommend a movie that's actually kind of good but just not as good as it might be or or i'll not recommend a movie that's like really bad but it's bad and maybe a watchable way so like if you do decide to watch uh it you'll have a good time not this time (laughs) 
the movie I'm not recommending. It is uh-huh. it is about a young actress who is aspiring, who is beginning to climb the ladder of success in her career, and she meets a new man who is also uh, an artist of a sort, and he is struggling, and there and as she is coming up, he is sort of coming down, and um, it's so it's a little a star is bornish. Um, uh-huh. The thing is. There's no reason for anyone to ever watch this movie unless you are a teenage boy, which I was when I saw it. Um, Uh It's not good. It's not even good to watch for a laugh. It is a 1994 thriller starring Robert Patrick and Terry Hatcher. And it's called, and if I, if you've never heard of it, I don't blame you. You shouldn't have. It's, it's, it's a movie. It's a movie called the cool surface. Nope, no, no, that's not a thing. And it's bad. That's not a movie. <laughs> it's so bad. The only reason I have ever seen it, and I even know it exists, is because it came out in 1994 when I was 14, and Terry Hatcher was Lois Lane on Superman, and she's naked in this movie. <laughs> and that is the only reason I saw it. Oh, that's two compelling reasons to see it, I guess. And you get to watch her try to do something with this nothing part. You get to see Robert Patrick a mere three years removed from Terminator 2. You can just you can almost <laughs> sense the disappointment in his performance. He's like, I yep. I was in the biggest movie ever three years ago, and now look what I'm having to do. He just seems uninterested and kind of angry. And he seems confused that his role as Liquid Robot didn't pan out to something else. <laughs> How am I not the biggest star in the universe? I was I was the killer Liquid Robot in the Terminator movie. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Um. So no, it's he plays he plays a uh, a writer who lives in hollywood she plays this up and coming young actress who um who he meets they have a meet cute where he thinks that she is being abused by her boyfriend it turns out it's just her and an acting partner practicing a scene isn't that cute and, wah, wah. and then so then the two of them get into a relationship that actually does become violent and abusive isn't that great um so it's not a good movie please don't see it please don't <laughs> Uh, what was it called it's called the, called the cool surface cold it's called the cool surface there is <laughs> and by the way there is no reason for it to be called that the, the title <laughs> the title makes no sense so there you go that's my not recommendation the cool surface <sighs> don't see it don't okay got it don't see don't it. see it well as i said the movie that we just watched was a melodrama mm-hmm. and as you guys know i like to take a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed and either give a recommend or not recommend so the movie that i'm going to recommend is also unashamedly <laughs> a melodrama but the difference is is that i like this movie and i like it despite the fact that they are trying super hard to manipulate my feelings but i still like it it's one of the dippiest premises i've ever seen in a film <laughs> oh boy and it's it stars spencer tracy lionel barrymore and freddie bartholomew the movie is of course captain's courageous ah. <laughs> it's a story about a spoiled brat who falls all overboard on a steamship and gets picked up by a fishing boat and he joins the crew and he's taken under the wing by the spencer tracy character don't get used to it and <laughs> oh. you just it's just one of those movies where you just wind up crying at the end. <laughs> and they did it on purpose because there's no need for that, is there? 
Have you seen Captain's I, I saw it a long time ago. It's been a long time since I watched. I think it was one of those that I kind of caught on an afternoon. They were showing it on TCM or something. Spencer yeah. Tracy is doing one of the worst accents ever. I think he's supposed to be Greek or something. I don't know. <laughs> Portuguese something. <laughs> it is a ridiculous, shamelessly, man- emotionally am- manipulative film, but I like it. <laughs> I had never seen this movie, so I, I actually selected two movies that I was going to either recommend or not recommend, depending on how I felt about it. And so my not recommend was going uh, was going to be Heidi oh. with Shirley Temple. Oh. Another melodrama, but thankfully I didn't like this movie. So, Captain's Courageous. If you just want someone to just sit there and play your heartstrings for about two hours... Watch Captain's Courageous. Well, that's it, Steve. Yeah. You know what time it is? Is it is it time for me to make a terrible choice? That's oh. right. It's time for you to make a terrible choice. Oh, boy. This is becoming a tradition on the show where I give Steve a blind choice between two movies and he must decide what we're going to review next. One is an awful movie. The other is one, well, one that has an awful reputation and one that has a good reputation. We decide whether they're good or bad. (laughs) So what shall it be, Steve? What shall it be? A or B? A or B? I think this time I'm going to go with B. <laughs> yeah. Okay. B, yeah. I'm I'm regretting B. it already. Okay. So, he has selected B. Oh boy. And this is this is okay. good for us okay. because it's going to it's going to it's going to kill several birds with one stone. Cool. As you guys know, we we like to do certain kinds of films during a certain kind of year. We dedicate two shows to Halloween, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We do a special we do a special commentary track for for Christmas, right, mm-hmm. Steve? Yeah, we do. And there's only one other season where we make special allowances and we try to do a show unless, you know, one of us fucks up and doesn't record his audio track. <laughs> Not saying who that would be. Like like we did for the Sandlot. Yeah, the, the famous Lost where, episode. Where one of us, yes. who has a beard and wears a hat, oh. does not, did not record his audio It was track. an accident. And what was lost for the ages was a fantastic orangutan Babe Ruth um, screed that I... <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. That is a tragedy. But, thankfully, Steve's going to pay for oh, it Oh, good. Oh, I can't wait. I, I do deserve it for that thing that was an this accident. This is a movie... If you guys have been listening for a while, there's a couple of things that we have brought up several times in the courses of our reviews. One of them has been Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. We we love slamming the old babe a lot, don't <laughs> yeah, we? Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> he can take it. The babe can take it. And another one is a notoriously awful film. Yes. That we have mentioned in passing, mainly because we don't really want to look at it too hard. But we're going to look at it hard oh, next Oh, boy. Time. Okay. Okay. The movie that we're going to review, and hey guys, you can watch this for free on YouTube if you want. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Is the awful, considered one of the worst films ever made, The Babe Ruth Story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is going to hurt. This one is going to hurt bad. Ooh. But it does fulfill our quota for a baseball movie. Yes, it does. And it gets yeah, I get to get back at Steve for the last <laughs> show that we had a couple of years ago. Oh, the debt has been paid. Or it will be. Uh, do you want to know what A was? Yeah, yeah. What was A? What What are we missing out on for me? To- Animal House. Animal House. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Animal House is probably better than the Babe Ruth story. <laughs> but not much. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, you heard it here first. You guys want to get all the jokes? Then go watch. Oh boy, I can't. Uh, sometimes I say things here that I just don't think I should be saying out loud, Steve. <laughs> go see the Babe Ruth story. I, I promise you, you'll be able to find it on yeah. YouTube. It's got Bendix in it. Yeah, right? William William Bendix. Yeah, William Bendix. And that's it for Late Seating. This has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Someday you won't laugh at me. I'm going out and have a real life. I'm going to be somebody. The president? No. A surgeon general? No, no. Less important. The senator? No. County dog catcher? No, no. No, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be a famous actor. A famous actor. Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't really want to be an actor. Like, I don't really like acting. I just want to be famous. <laughs> and I figure if I get to be a famous actor, I'll be famous. So I'm going to be a famous actor. Oh, okay. I thought you said someone important. No, I want to be like, I don't want to be like a regular actor. You want to be like just a I famous be a actor star. that can't act? Okay. I want to be a famous actor. You know, what, you know who's really important Who? around here? Yeah, who? The person that slops the hogs. Get outside, you famous uh... actor. <laughs> Get outside! <laughs> I'm going. I'm doing you a favor. I'm going. You'll see one day. You're gonna wind up in pornos if you go there. Don't even think about one it. One day I won't be slopping hogs. <laughs> no, you're gonna be slopping hogs forever. I'm gonna be a famous actor. Yeah, named Slopping Hogs. Get out of there. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemme Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Lemme Listen. And thanks for listening.